Hello friends, it's me, Michelle. Welcome to another episode of Her Do It Stories. Today, it's just me. I have no other guest. And that's because by the time this episode is out, it would be New Year's Eve tomorrow. And that means an entirely new year next week. I have been in a very reflective state the last couple of weeks leading up to the end of the year. So instead of doing a usual interview episode, I thought it would be interesting for me to share some of my reflections in terms of the biggest lessons in money that I've learned in 2020 and how I'm shaping my investment directions in 2021. I want to start by saying how it has been an eye-opening year for me in terms of personal finance and I've always been passively investing in Stash Away and I've done that for a couple of years now but this year because of all the extra time I had and deciding to start her do it I was able to learn so much more in the realm of personal finance and that's what I want to share with you today Before we get to the good stuff I know everyone is always interested to know what others have invested in and you guys like listening to real stories of great returns. So yes, I, I will share that in a bit but I do want to start by sharing three money lessons that I've learned this year and these three money lessons that I've learned are lessons that I believe are relevant to every one of you listening to me today. So I hope that you'll find it useful. The first major money lesson I've learned is in savings and that savings is not all about your bank account or about fixed deposits and that you can actually save too much money. So for most part of my life, my money has set in fixed deposits and I think you guys would resonate with that and that's because of how I was brought up. My mom taught me to put all my money in fixed deposits since I was young and she has only lost money through stock picking and other funds like unit trust. So her investment philosophies existed in only two areas, fixed deposits and real estate. If you listen to the episode that I had with Marie Joel Kondo on real estate, it's no surprise that our parents in the boomer generation could make a significant amount of money through buying property. But today, the case of getting rich the same ways as our parents did through buying and selling real estate is not as simple anymore. And I'm sure a lot of you were probably brought up this way too, and that's why I think this is a very important point to bring up. On where to put your savings, how many of you put your savings in your current or savings account today, or maybe fixed deposits? No judgement because, like I mentioned, I've been doing this for the longest time. So, COVID's terrible FD rates actually triggered me to look at alternatives to fixed deposits and I realised that there are so many other options where we don't have to deal with inflation and have our money decrease in value because of inflation. So the first would be a high yield or high interest savings account. First question is, how long have you been using your bank account? Do you use it because your parents opened it for you as a child and you just continued using the same bank? Or maybe there was an ATM from this bank that is convenient to your school or your workplace. Or perhaps because your first workplace uses a particular bank, so you use it because you can get your salary the fastest for using that bank. I'm guilty of that. Like I started using my CMB account because it's the bank that my company uses to pay my salary. And I just checked on the website and the current savings account interest rate for my bank account is 0.25%. That is 0.25, everyone. That means that I'm probably losing money every single day from inflation on, for instance, my emergency funds if I put it in my savings. And I believe that the current fixed deposit 
interest rates would be 1.8% for 6 months and above from what used to be between maybe 2 to 3% or even more than 3% during the promotional periods for fresh funds. So honestly, instead of your usual savings account or fixed deposits, the actually high yield savings account as I mentioned or high interest savings account that would likely be better than your current savings account if you haven't done any research. I don't have any recommendations at the moment but I know there are some popular ones like the OCBC 360 which I've just learned that the rates will be revised down from 1st January 2021 or there's also the Standard Chartered Privileged Saver account. If you are interested to find out more, there's actually a lot of information that you can find out online on this account and what you have to do in order to reach the maximum interest rates per annum. Either that or Stash Away Simple. So when Stash Away Simple was launched, I read more into money market funds and I moved my emergency funds over to Stash Away Simple, not sponsored by the way. I'm unsure if everyone investing in Stash Away Simple is invested into the same money market fund, but if it's not, uh, mine would be the East Spring Investments Islamic Income Fund. I started in June, I think that's about the time when it was launched. I deposited three lump sums of money based on my current FD expiration and my current return on investments is about 0.82% and that means an average monthly return of almost 0.2% which comes up to their claim of a 2.4% interest rate annually, like exactly what they mentioned. I mentioned emergency funds in the Herduit Instagram recently and I mentioned how there are differing takes to how much emergency funds you need. So here are my thoughts, hear me out. One would be the reason why I picked Stash Away Simple is that it makes my emergency fund pretty liquid which means if I needed to use my emergency funds urgently, I can get it quite fast and with no penalty unlike fixed deposits. And it's simple because let's say comparing to fixed deposits, if you want to be strategic about your fixed deposits, you probably would do a whole fixed deposit lock roll strategy which I learned about recently. It's where you split your FD money into 12 months and you put them into 12 different FDs and that locks your money down for a year but only a year because after that it will be every month it will be expiring and then you can take them out easily on a month by month basis without suffering a penalty on all of your interest. So to me such a way simple meant I didn't have to remember that and remember to do this whole 12 months 12 sections thing and the other thing is for high interest savings account while they can potentially offer higher rates than 2.4% there are also a lot of conditions that we need to be aware of so for instance mandatory spending amount let's say you have to spend 2,000 ringgit a month and then you have to invest a thousand ringgit a month in their investments like what they offer as investments and those investments probably have not very great returns and they have high fees so that's how i landed at such a way simple i am certain that there are other ways of saving your emergency fund that can yield higher interest rates but i feel like those require a lot more research so i don't have that recommendation at the moment and another thing is beyond your emergency fund and your fund for your goals for instance for a wedding for a baby, even for travelling or starting a business, you actually don't need any more savings. Because that money is likely better off if you moved it into investments where it can grow significantly more and build your wealth through compounding instead of sitting in a very low interest rate investment like 
FD if you call that an investment or such a way simple. I will cover this a bit more um, on the lesson that I've learned on investing after this because the second money lesson that I learned was about spending consciously. And before you scoff and say you already know this, you have to hear me out. As an everyday millennial, it's also easy for me to fall in the trap of comparing myself to my peers, what they buy, what they wear, what they eat, where they go. We all know this is toxic, but we continue to look and compare anyway. I think it's easy for me to say do not compare yourself, but we know that it's natural human behaviour. So instead of trying to resist the temptation of comparing, there are actually things that we can do to stop ourselves from the comparison. So what I've done, one, is stop following people on Instagram that I feel like I tend to compare myself to. And two, before spending on anything, and on top of thinking, of course, whether I need it or not, I will also ask myself, if no one sees me with this, will I still care to buy it? So for example, if you buy a new luxury car, and no one will ever see you driving it or owning it, will you get this car still? It can never go on Instagram, it can never go on Facebook or any other social media platforms you use. So if that is the case, would you have chosen a luxury car or would you perhaps have chosen a sturdy Toyota Vios instead? So of course this does not mean that you should completely restrict your spending. You know I'm all about conscious spending. As long as it fits into your conscious spending plan and you are not getting it out of peer pressure or to impress anyone, I would say you can go for it. If you know me, I am also a big spender on food and drinks and travel which hasn't really happened this year. And while I have felt guilty for a really long time, after incorporating what I like into my conscious spending plan, I know I don't have to feel guilty anymore as long as I stick to what I reasonably want to spend and with my investments and savings always sorted first before I spend on other things. The final lesson for today is on investing and how I shaped my investment journey this year. It's going to be a little bit controversial and I've also recently touched on this on Instagram but as what I mentioned just now, hear me out. The more I read about investments, the more I realise that it really boils down to of course one, psychology but two, whether you want to spend the time to learn and try to beat the market, right? Let me repeat that again and it can take 5 seconds to think about it. Do you have the time, the patience, and the tenacity to read, learn, trade, and potentially fail when there's actually a way for you to make consistent, guaranteed, pretty high returns if you did it the boring way? Many people like you and me think that we are probably smarter than other people, but time has shown us actually that People actually buy and sell at terrible times and that we are probably holding too many stocks given our real risk tolerance. Be real here, how many stocks do you actually own? I'm guilty. And of course, we also don't know the real impact of fees because we don't see it directly impacting us and our investments. I think there are over 900 companies that you can invest on Bursa today alone and there are definitely a lot of stocks that have grown significantly say this year. but you probably wouldn't have known which stocks would be your lottery ticket if that is your intent of purchasing stocks and your philosophy behind making money, which shouldn't be it. Honestly, you should be looking at fundamentals. Well, it is also tempting to look at people who bought, let's say, Bitcoin and made a lot of money. It's easy to look at it at hindsight and say you should have invested 
when Bitcoin was low. And on more of the psychology still on Bitcoin, so let's say, for example, please do not take this as a recommendation. If I told you that Bitcoin will rise to 200,000 in December, next year, how much money would you be comfortable to put into Bitcoin now? What if in the course of the next year, let's say in June, Bitcoin tanked to 50%? But still, still there's a potential for it to reach 200,000. Will you have the willpower to hold on to it through the course of this time? For example, how many of us can put 10,000 into Bitcoin? See the news of it go up and down and up and down and be able to sleep soundly at night and carry on with our lives without letting it affect us. I think it's easy to, when you make money, shout out about how much you've gained through this investment, but what happens when it is low? What do you do at a point of time? My take here is that we really have no idea what will happen in the future. So it's not for an everyday investor like you or me to pick stocks, especially if we don't have the time to learn on top of have the willpower to hold them even when they tank. So this actually all ties into the psychology of money. And my point here in terms of what I've learned is that if you want something simple, which most of us want really, we don't have to see thousands of percentage in terms of increase in price. Even if the stock does, if you're an average person like me, you probably wouldn't have put a lot of your money or all your money into that one stock and hope for the best, right? I know like diversification, but diversification is not cheap. And the more you diversify, the less you have in every single stock. So let's say if you had 10,000 ringgit to invest, I don't think you have put 10,000 ringgit into Tesla stock. You probably would have diversified it. That means that your growth in terms of your stock would have also been diversified because you didn't want a stock that tanked to have affected your entire investment amount. So my learning and my proposition is to go with simplicity and high returns. Sounds too good to be true, right? But on average, the stock market like the entire stock market together, the S&P 500 has seen at least 8% returns annually. And if the S&P 500 sounds alien to you, it's the top 500 companies listed on the US stock exchange together. And they're put into something called an index called the S&P 500. Essentially, if you invested in this thing called the S&P 500, your returns annually will have averaged out to be about 8% safely. And you don't need to stress about a particular company going bankrupt or looking individually at these 500 companies and all their annual reports and analyze each and every one of them. So for me, in 2021, I will continue to put more of my money into index funds and ETFs. My current portfolio here includes my stash away holdings, which is already pretty diversified if you go into the assets section in your stash away portfolio. But the other index funds that I have invested in would be one VTI. It's the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund ETF. I know a mouthful, but essentially it is a Vanguard ETF that tracks the performance of the CRSP US Total Market Index. You can Google that if you want to know more about it. But just a brief one from me includes large cap, mid cap and small cap equities diversified across different growth and value styles. And the companies that are in this, it's essentially every company, but it includes names that you know, like Apple and Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook and Visa. 
And this index actually holds over 3,600 listed companies in the US. And this is my method of completely diversifying into the US stock market. It's a bit different. I think a lot of other people also invest into S&P 500. That is the 500 top companies in the US. My VTI stock is all 3,600 companies in the US. So that's one of the ETFs that I've invested in. The other one is something that I've tried to be a little bit more adventurous on. It is the mouthful Trade Plus S&P New China Tracker which is S&P New China Sectors X A-Class Shares Index and this is an ETF which has holdings in companies like Tencent, Alibaba, Ping'an, Baidu and JD.com for example. I picked this ETF for two reasons, exposure into China beyond my current stash away Chinese ETF because I think that China is a fast-growing market and that this ETF consists of mainly consumption and service-based industries. So it's companies and industries that I understand as a consumer. And the next reason behind why I picked this particular ETF is because you can trade this on Bursa. So for those who have limited funds or who want to start air quotes locally, before dabbling into US stocks or exchanging your money into USD, which you don't want to, I think this is a great entry because you can buy using Ringgit. The other ETF that I invested in is ARK, A-R-K by Kathy Wood. So I've invested in three of the ARK's funds. The first one is the ARK Innovation ETF, A-R-K-K which invests in companies offering disruptive innovation. I copied this from the website. On new products or services that can potentially change how the world works. So their top holdings include Tesla. The next two ARC funds that I have are a bit more specific to a particular industry as compared to the ARC Innovation ETF. The first one is the ARC Next Generation Internet ETF, ARKW which gives investors exposure to next-generation internet companies. So that includes things like artificial intelligence and big data, cloud computing, cybersecurity, and blockchain. And the holdings also include Tesla, but also Spotify, Teladoc Square, Facebook Class A shares, Pinterest Class A shares, etc. There's a lot. You know, like the big words in tech that seems to be on the news all the time, but you don't really know much about them other than them being a buzzword. These are the companies that are offering these solutions. And in all seriousness, because I work in tech and I'm exposed to this on a daily basis, so this is extremely exciting to me. But if you're not one who is big on next-gen internet ideas and you feel a bit more skeptical, then maybe you want to stay out from the art next-generation internet ETF. Mouthful. Next one I have is even more next-gen, I would say. It's ARKG. It's the ARK Genomic Revolution ETF. On the ARK website, it says that the companies within ARKG are focused on and are expected to substantially benefit from extending and enhancing the quality of human and other life by incorporating technological and scientific developments and advancements in genomics into their business. So these companies look at things like molecular diagnostics and stem cells and agricultural biology and things that I probably don't know a lot about. But I believe that the future of healthcare would be in these areas. And that's why I invested into ARKG. Other than that, the other thing that I have is Berkshire Hathaway by Warren Buffett, which is essentially like an ETF if you think about it. But I believe in Warren Buffett's investing strategy. 
and his philosophy so I've invested in Berkshire Hathaway as well although it is not technically an index fund or an ETF but it does feel like that I'm not going to go into the individual equities that I invested in because I'm planning to well one keep 10% of them just for like fun money and money that I am willing to lose but I am also planning to sell a number of them and then put more of that money into index fund and ETS in 2021 and if you're wondering how I invest in index funds or ETFs outside of Malaysia and not through Stashaway, I use Tiger Brokers, not sponsored, to buy my ETFs and my index funds like ARK as well as my VTI for instance. I use eToro actually for Berkshire Hathaway and for my individual US stocks but I wouldn't recommend using eToro for ETFs because there is a minimum investment amount and I believe that their investment format for ETFs has changed to be CFDs which stands for Contract for Differences which is not what I am comfortable investing in hence I use Tiger Brokers for ETFs mainly and then for individual stocks in the US I use eToro Bonus advice If you have started buying stocks uh, I hope you haven't made my mistake when I started buying stocks, I didn't want to put so much money in, right? So I bought them based on how much I wanted to spend. And that was probably between 500 ringgit to 1,000 ringgit per trade. But the fees, the fees, I did not factor that into my investments properly. So assuming you decide to dollar cost average 1,000 ringgit into stocks a month, into one stock, for example, my brokerage would cost me about 8 ringgit and 50 cents per trade if the trading value is below 1,000 ringgit. So if you buy 6 times a year, that would have costed you 50 ringgit just to buy. And you haven't included the selling, which will cost you an extra 850 if you are doing you're selling based on one trade only. And how much money you may have lost if your stock didn't make money. So that actually eats into your earnings quite a bit if you didn't understand the fees or factor it in. So that is another lesson that I've learned. But I hope what you've gained is the kind of investments that I've made this year, the reading, the researching I've done, as well as what will be driving my investment direction in 2021. So with that said, this is all for my episode today on my money lessons and what I've invested in and what I will be investing in in 2021. As a summary, quick one, the lessons were three things. One, you may want to put your savings somewhere else than fixed deposits and that you shouldn't be saving significantly beyond what you need for your emergency funds and your goals. If you have extra money, you invest that instead. Two, spend your money consciously based on what you want out of the money, not to impress others or to follow others. Three, Investing is very simple, but we are too tied up to the psychology of money to realize that if you are an average person like me, I know we don't want to be average, but we are average. And you don't want to spend all your time having to really analyze companies individually, and you want to sleep soundly even when the stock market tanks. Index funds and ETFs to me is a good option, and that's where I'll be parking more of my money in 2021. I don't think there is a problem taking some percentage out from the money that you have and the money that you're willing to lose to learn. But if your goal is to reach a certain amount of wealth that you're comfortable with when you retire, 
then my advice would really be to go with index funds and ETFs. As usual, I'm not a certified financial planner. Everything that I'm sharing with you today is what I personally would do. But please do not follow my advice if you intend to be very rich or you want to be a millionaire in the next two, three years because that's not where my advice will bring you. So that is all I have for a short episode today on Her Do It. I hope you've been able to learn a bit more from the lessons that I've learned and hopefully you don't have to repeat the same mistakes that I have made. And I hope that if you've never learned about index funds or ETFs and you've never known about what kind of returns these investments are able to bring you. Hopefully you learn more about that today and you can spend a bit of your time before the end of the year to read up about them. Of course, as usual, I'll be sharing more about these on my Instagram channel at her.doit. So if you're interested to learn more, that's where you can find more information about your own personal finance journey, learning things from topics of budgeting, spending to saving and investing. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much to all of you for all your support this year. It's been a crazy year. I'm sure for me as well as for you. I hope that if you started listening to my podcast this year, that you learned a little bit more about personal finance and you've learned to take charge of it yourself more and that you are more confident in your own personal finance journey. That's all. Happy New Year, everyone. I will see you next week in 2021. Bye.